Okay, we're in um, we're Luke. Should have a PowerPoint. There he is. So it's Luke chapter 10, and it's just those few verses, so it's not very much at all today. So if you want to look it up, you can. It's going to come up on the screens later, so you don't need to worry too much, but it's nice to have it in front of you. Okay. Well, we're probably all a bit more relaxed now, aren't we? We might be in our January blues, maybe, someone said on Facebook. (laughs) Or we uh, might just be relieved. Um, And I guess most of us are pretty thankful for all that God's given us. Um, I got a journal at Christmas. Does anyone else get a journal? Yeah. Good, aren't they? Only one person. I love getting a new journal. It's my most exciting part, actually, of the new year, is opening it up, doing that, and then writing January 2000 and whatever it is, to, da-da. I just hate, you know, starting an old journal. There's something nice about the new year and just sort of starting it. And in it, I like to write um, some very pious statements about what I'm going to try and achieve in the coming (laughs) year that I don't maybe um, achieve. And you might think maybe New Year's resolutions are a waste of time. Um, And, you know, sometimes I guess I'd agree a bunch of rules that are made up by yourself that you must live by so that then you can fail and then you can feel guilty. Yay! (laughs) But um, I guess drawing a line under the past is not a bad thing, isn't it? God, obviously, when we come to him and we lay our lives before him, uh, and we confess what's, what we've done wrong, maybe what we've done in thought or deed, he draws a line under it, doesn't he? And uh, we've just been singing, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he's removed our transgressions from us. So we don't need to go on then as guilt of failure and stuff like that. We can go joyously on. Um, It's a good time, isn't it, at the beginning of the year to kind of take stock of what happened, um, to confess, obviously, but also to kind of look forward to, okay, well, where am I going to be with Jesus in the coming year? Where are we going together? What's going to happen for us in this coming year? Um, And obviously, being with Jesus is the key, isn't it? If we try and go into the coming year without him, then it's just nothing, is it? It's just filling time. Uh, We're just kind of, la, 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 filling lots of time with stuff that we do. But um, as it says in the Bible, we know at the end of the day, what's going to last is what we did with Jesus. Okay, so uh, we're in Luke today, and there's a story of two sisters, uh, Mary and Martha. It's really familiar, isn't it? Lots of people know this story, but it's good to look at it, especially at the beginning of years, I guess. Um, to look afresh at what Jesus says. So we're going to read it now together. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42. And there it is. Okay. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, 
Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So in Luke's gospel, he places this lesson about listening to Jesus smack after Jesus' discussion with the Pharisee concerning the questions of eternal life. The Pharisee asks, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So he's asking, what must I do to be right with God? And obviously we heard the other week, he went through the whole thing where he listed the law and Jesus said, okay. And then he gave them the example of what that means, the kind of perfect example to care for those maybe that no one cares for, to live and help your enemies, to love them, to love those who hate you and spend an indefinite end on someone who may never thank you. To take on their uncleanness and their shame as your own. And I imagine like the rich young ruler that went to Jesus, this Pharisee went away pretty much the same. A sense of sadness that what had been described was too hard to do. But before we are left to conclude that that might be the way to get right with God, Luke draws our eyes to a different example straight away of how we might get right with God. Mary and Martha lived in Bethany. Okay, it's about two miles from Jerusalem. It's the top of the hill where eventually Jesus will make that descent down through the crowds that are claiming that he's king. Remember, they're all very excited about him. And then in a few days, that crowd will turn and he will be crucified. They were sisters and we learn from John's gospel that they had their brother Lazarus, which we know about. Remember, he felt ill, so ill, in fact, that he died. And then Jesus went and he asked him, come out. And Lazarus did indeed come out. He was risen from the dead. And that was a real turning point, wasn't it? After that, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were vying for Jesus' blood. But in this scene, remember where Luke's put it. He's put it right after the Pharisees. Luke again shows a typical scene. Because remember, the Pharisee one was a typical scene. A man was traveling along a road. Very typical. But it turned out very untypical, didn't it? This one is a typical scene where Jesus is invited into someone's home. That happened a lot, didn't it? He liked to eat. Yes, (laughs) I like to eat. 
And um, here we have it. He's sitting down. He's beginning his teaching session. His disciples are gathered around him. Uh, some food is being prepared. Yum, yum. If you can imagine it, I'm going to imagine now. I'm in the Middle East, so maybe some nice rice with some chicken and some pine nuts and some cashews. Mm, very nice. Everything's smelling good. Some salads are getting some, maybe some tabbouleh's being made out the back. Vine leaves are getting out of jars. It's going to be amazing. So there's nothing unusual here. But there is. Of course there is. Luke's account involves two women. So it's a little bit different straight away. In fact, one of these women has invited Jesus into her home. Now, there might have been a male there, there may not. I would, for me, commentators are different, but I would say there's probably some men there. I don't think it would be very appropriate in that culture for women on their own to invite a bunch of men into their house. No, not good. (laughs) Uh, One of the sisters, of course, is busy in the kitchen, doing that tabbouleh. And uh, the other one uh, is sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, this is not normal. Remember how the Samaritan thing was twisted? Same thing, twist. This is not normal. In this culture, we're imagining it, I said how it probably wouldn't be appropriate for them to invite men into their house. Well, it was more than that. Men and women didn't really mix that much either. Even now, if you go to the Middle East, uh, if you went to someone's house and maybe there's no women at home, there's no way I'd be going in that house. It would be wrong. Um, men and women tend to live quite separate lives. Maybe uh, if you go in, there's a house and there'll be women sitting in the kitchen, children. Nowadays, it'll be like a telly in the corner. There's some lounge chairs. It's a kind of the family place. It's where everyone hangs out. But there's another room over here that that's the guest room, okay? This is the posh room. No one really goes in it. And that would be the place where Jesus was. So here he is in the posh room, with the men teaching and where is Mary who should be over here well she isn't she's actually over here and she is with the men so you can imagine how shocking this would be to the people at the time who heard this story um, when maybe Luke was first writing his gospel this is quite a big deal that a woman is here sitting with the men. And it's not only that she's here, she's not like she's uh, just at the doorway, a bit chopping here, or um, she's just sort of sat over here maybe with Lazarus, kind of very politely sitting, bit of a head covering. No, Mary is here at Jesus's feet. Okay, now in the Bible, being at someone's feet is learning from them. Okay, this would be where you would sit if you were going to be a disciple. And women didn't really do this. I mean, there's occasions, there's different writings from that period that say occasionally it happened. It was very rare, though. And a lot of the kind of more pious religious people, no way this would ever happen. So here she is in the disciples position, sitting at Jesus's feet, wanting to learn from him. Um, 
So it's pretty shocking. But remember, our revolutionary God, he is bringing a kingdom, isn't he? That's different. It's not culture bound. It's a kingdom where people approach God in the same way and relate to each other, isn't it? It's a kingdom that's going to be where there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no male or female. And here right at the beginning, we're seeing how Jesus is showing that. Um, But remember, at the same time, in this place, in the kitchen, Martha is with the old tabbouleh, which takes hours. Have you ever tried to make it? Oh, disaster, I tell you. You've got to have the... Yeah, anyway. (laughs) So she's practical. And in this kind of culture, let's think about it. Well, you've invited someone into your home. There's a couple of things that go with that. You've got to give them drinks. You've got to give them snacks while they're waiting. You've got to provide them food. And not only have you got to provide them food, but if you've ever been in this kind of culture, you'll know that it's not just about providing food, but it's a lot of food. And when they finish that food... What do you have to give them? More food. And when they finish that food, you've got to give them more food. And when they finish that food, you've got to keep going because it's polite. It's the cultural norm is to keep feeding until that person cannot take any more. Okay, so if you ever go, first thing to remember, eat a very, very small amount because there are 40 courses coming. (laughs) Okay. So she naturally is panicking, okay? She needs to make sure that Jesus and his friends have got everything they could possibly want. And all the time, she's running around like a crazy woman, naturally, as she would. And who is over here? Mary doing nothing, absolutely nothing, in Martha's opinion. So she is not doing it. And so naturally, she comes stomping in to say, tell her to help me. It's not unreasonable. Like, Lord, do you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Okay, she is alone. And Jesus, instead of, it's a natural kind of thing, isn't it? Don't you care? Well, your natural response is, well, of course I care. Of course, Jesus cares, but he doesn't say that. He says, only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen what is best, and it will not be taken away from her. It would have been one thing for Jesus to say to a man that he had chosen the best thing. But to say that to a woman in this culture, where obviously the best thing is for her to get on and serve, because that's what they do. Luke wants to make this point really sharply. So he uses something different, doesn't he? That actually rushing about and doing stuff is not the best way to go. He makes this startling point that doing stuff is not enough. Just when we thought from the Pharisee, oh, well, it must be about being kind to people. Maybe I'll go and help people on the road. That must be the answer. You've suddenly been told it's not about doing stuff either. Something more must be needed. So Luke presents these two sisters. Mary, what do we know of her? She's distracted, we read. She's distracted from her guest. She's busy preparing. In her opinion, she's the only one doing any work. She's upset. And Jesus says she's consumed by many things. 
Martha is the super busy, isn't she? We're going to think a bit more about her in our house groups this week. But she's the one that wants to jump through hoops, do a little tightrope of everything that she thinks must be done. It must be done. She's completely stressed. She feels that she's got no, res- no support coming her way. She believes definitely in her heart that this is the right thing to do. And that namely somebody should be helping her, her sister. And before we think this is just about women, (laughs) we know plenty of men that fall into that category, don't we? That are rushing about. If only somebody would realize how important this is, but nobody seems to be doing any work around here. And we all get a bit like that, don't we? Particularly when something is important to us. We've worked hard on it. Imagine Martha, she's working so hard. She wants this to be perfect. Why doesn't anybody realize how important this is? And we get into this. I know I get into it. I get, I get niggled. I get annoyed. I think that person hasn't shown up. Do they not realize? Why is that person late? They haven't done what I've asked them to do. And we all kind of go down there a little bit. But Mary, in contrast, on the other hand, she is, she's so contrasting because she doesn't say anything. She's silent and she is just listening. She's not doing, she's listening. And we can contrast these with Martha. She wants to give something to Jesus, but Mary, maybe she wants to get something from Jesus. And we'd be forgiven, wouldn't we, and thinking, well, surely it must be better to give something to Jesus because it's good to give something to God. Let's give God something. Let's worship God. I'm going to give it to him. I'm going to lift it up to him. But here, Jesus says that Mary has chosen what is best, not about giving, but just about receiving about getting. So what's behind Martha? Okay. Don't need that. Moving on. Let's go here. Well, I was thinking about Martha and there's a few things that could happen. Trying to impress God or others. We all fall into this trap. Martha wanted Jesus to think well of her. Perhaps he was going to be astounded by her lavish food or the amount of food she presented. Good enough, maybe, that he might remember her. He might want to become friends with them. But when we try to impress God, we're not going to measure up. He's perfect. Secondly, she's very driven by doing stuff. She's rushing around to the point of anger. And when we get like that, we can start to believe that Jesus needs us. We kind of fall down that kind of path. We don't know where this company would be if only if I wasn't here. We don't know where this church would be if I didn't do anything. Doing stuff then becomes our goal. And Jesus, I'm not sure where he is. Thirdly, we can start to think that doing stuff makes God likes us more than others. 
we start to fall into that trap of maybe thinking today I deserve love, but I didn't do so well today, so I don't deserve love. We can end up in that. And we can never be good enough. And finally, when we rush around, we can start to think we're justified in demanding that God does stuff for us. We lose sight that we don't deserve anything. Start to think, well, I've been really good and I did this and I did this and I did this. So why don't you just do this one thing for me, God? Get them to help me. And all along, when we start with giving, we end up with this. We don't need Jesus. He needs us. We don't want Jesus. We just want what he can give us. And in contrast, when we're like Mary, when we start with Jesus, when we sit at the foot of his nail-pierced feet, when we're reminded of his immeasurable love for us, as far as the east is from the west, when we gaze on him, when we look at his glory and his majesty and his, his power, we start to get a bit of perspective. We don't think Jesus needs us. We know we need him. And we don't think we want to impress Jesus. We are impressed by him. And we don't try and earn his love. We know we are loved. Jesus said Mary has chosen what Mary has chosen is better. But how often, I, I hold my hands up to this, do we rush in to doing stuff before we've stopped to gaze at Jesus? You know, that's that old poem, isn't there? I got up early one morning, I rushed out into the day. Do you remember that one? I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. It stands for truth, doesn't it? We rush into doing stuff all the time. So we need to sit. But it's not an excuse for doing nothing. I want to make that clear. Because it could be easy for us to piously sit and think, I do not rush around. I am with the Lord. And actually, that's not what's going on here, okay? It's not an excuse for us to do nothing. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what Mary went on to do. So if you like, you can come with me to John 12. We're just going to read the first few verses. There's another account of Mary and Martha. And in John 12, John 13 is where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. But look what happens in John 12, just at the beginning. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, who Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha (laughs) served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I'm going to stop there can read it later. Now I was thinking about this. Jesus, Mary begins by sitting at Jesus' feet, receiving from him. When she gets around to serving, 
She does the most humble thing. Remember when um, we've heard sermons about Jesus washing the disciples' feet, about how that is the lowliest job in the house. He takes a towel, he washes their feet. The most lowliest. She serves in the most humble way ever. She not only serves in the most humble way, she anoints him, she washes his feet, she dries his feet, of course, with her most treasured possession, her hair. Imagine her beautiful long hair. This is the thing everyone's most proud of. You know, there's not like fancy dress shops back in that day. You couldn't go and glam yourself up. But your hair, ooh, that was nice. And she uses it like a rag to dry Jesus's feet. She shows her utter humility. Mary doing follows her listening. That does not mean that she doesn't do. But when she does do, it's utterly sacrificial and humble as she washes his feet. Serving Jesus is not an option. It's just the way you serve. Will you start this year by sitting at Jesus' feet or will you rush on in? and try to do something. Imagine the kind of meal that Mary would have prepared after sitting at Jesus' feet. So just quickly, a little contrast between the two for us to think about. Uh, The one on the right is uh, Mary's sort of example, and the one on the left is Martha's sort of example. So When we serve before encountering Jesus, this can lead to pride, self-righteousness. I do more, therefore I'm better. But when we encounter Jesus first, we humbly take our righteousness from Christ. I serve out of thankfulness. When we serve before we encounter Jesus It can lead to fear and anxiety. If I make a mess of this, if it goes wrong, I'm useless and God will be angry with me. But when we serve first encountering Jesus, we find peace. Our bad days are okay. God's love lasts forever and is settled on me. When we serve first, we might suffer from low self-worth. I'm not sure I'm worth loving. But after Jesus, we grow daily in our understanding of how much we are loved. We might find that we feel insecure. I need to sort this out. It's up to me, like Martha did. She was rushing around. But after Jesus, we feel secure. God is bigger. He gives me the bigger picture and he provides all I need. If we serve before encountering Jesus, we can feel burdened and tired and burnt out and exhausted. We've got so much to do. But after, there's so much I could do. Thank you, God. And finally, before Jesus, we might find that we get anger. Why doesn't God give me what I want? And after, God has given me all I need. We might find that we have poor relationships with others if we serve before encountering Jesus. But after, we have strong relationships. God loves flows through me. 
and I care more what God thinks. But we must be careful, mustn't we, not to categorize Martha and Mary as good and bad. Jesus loved them passionately both. In John 11 verse 5, it says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. They were both good. Jesus loved them. They loved Jesus. On this occasion, they might have got it a little bit topsy-turvy. But Martha was loved by Jesus. We need to remember that. The more we grasp how much we are loved, the more we sit at Jesus' feet, the more we are able to serve in joy, in humility, in peace, others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we enter this new year Help us to make sitting at your feet a priority. Before we seek to serve you, help us seek you. Before we seek to love you, help us see your love. And Lord, please lead us in the coming year to serve you more from that place of humility security, joy, love, and peace that is found by sitting at your feet. Amen.